The only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. Uh, welcome back to another another ep- uh, edition of uh, Burning Daylight. And today I got a special guest on. I've been trying to been trying to get a hold of him for for a little bit a uh, little while now. And I was telling him before we we got going. Um, his music is pretty regular, frequent occurrence on on just about any playlist uh, in in my household. My kids love his music. My wife loves his music. My sister in law and her and her girls love the, his music. And then just about every every working cowboy west of uh, west of the Rockies uh, knows who Dave Stamey is. And so, uh, without further ado, Dave, thank you once again for joining the show, and welcome to uh, Burning Daylight, the, the podcast for the working cowboy. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. You betcha. Um, so I got introduced to you, and and I say west of the Rockies. I grew up just a little bit east of the Rockies in uh, the southeast corner of Colorado, kind of kind of in homesteader territory, and um, so, so did I. So did I. I. I was I was raised east of the Rockies as well. Where Where did you grow up at? Uh, Yellowstone County, Montana. Okay. Okay. So you you were, but you were sure enough up in in cow country. My 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 part of the world was was cow country during the beef boom, and then uh, around the around the turn of the twentieth century, the the government made a real big push to 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 settle that part of the land and the big ranches kind of dried up and and homesteaders moved in and and so everything got parceled into to quarter sections it seems like and uh and then when I moved out to Nevada um well, it's a whole different style of cowboying um just oh, that's <laughs> it, like everything kind of changes once you once you get west of them rocky mountains and uh <clears throat> and, and it's uh it's a whole whole different culture. We're doing the same dang job, but it's it's a whole different way of doing it. Yeah, the Great Great Basin is a whole it's a, it's a it's a it's a entity of in and of itself, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, how how long had your family been up in in Montana when you were born? Like how how long how long y'all been up there? <laughs> Not very long at all, actually. I I, I wish I could claim. A homesteader status and and have a have a tie uh, that deep of a tie to a piece of geography, but I don't. Um, my uh, my dad came from the south and he uh, he went to Montana because he had the uh, the ungainly idea of wanting to become a, a cattle rancher. He was very enamored with the west and the whole idea of that. And so uh, we went up there just before I was born. So I was, uh, I was like, <laughs> I was the first, uh, the, the, the first installment of, of that, um, 
of, of that legacy, if you will. I see. I, that's uh, well. He he picked a, a sure enough tough place to to raise cattle. I mean, there. I don't know if there's a. <laughs> I don't know if there's. Yes, he did. He continued to do that all through his career. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I I think some of those places on the coast of California are about as close as it gets to to having an easy time raising cattle, and that's still not real easy. But it's uh everywhere else in the in the west is is pretty kind of a pretty tough place to live really now other other than uh we were we ended up on the coast of california when i was about 13 we had uh, a couple of uh, uh what you would call a economic disasters in in uh in uh, my dad's ranching career and uh, he married a california girl and um the last economic disaster we went through would would have been about 19, oh, about 1970, 71, somewhere in there. And my mother said she'd had just about enough of it that she could she could take, and she 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 didn't care much for um. It wasn't the cattle business as much as it was the unreasonable weather. Yeah. And, yeah, and so uh, we we headed uh, we headed headed west to uh, the central coast of California, and. Um, it's it's uh, as far as the weather goes yeah it's a little more agreeable uh but that's the only the only uh, upside to it um um <laughs> we uh we left we left montana I mean, he sold the ranch and we left montana and we ended up uh with about 20 acres in california and um 20 acres on a sand dune is where we ended up uh 20 acres on a sand dune and that's just about enough grass to raise half a cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we, but you, but if you, uh, if you build a feedlot, mm-hmm. raise a bunch of them, and that's what we ended up doing. We uh, we ended up uh, uh, operating a feedlot operation there in uh, San Luis Obispo County for, uh, for a decade or so. And, uh, uh, and that that all that all kind of went to hell in nineteen seventy. 73 or 74, I'm trying to think of when the big crash came. Um, and and most any of your listeners who were in the cow business during that during that period will know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was uh, – there, there's been a few of those over the years. So uh, I, I – you just you moved even further up the list of the people you know people I wanted to talk to because you you know I I've I've been a feedlot cowboy for uh, about I think I I think I started in two thousand nine and I've been uh, aside from a couple a couple months here and there I've been in the feedlot ever since and it, it's um you know it's treated me pretty well as far as uh, as economically and and. Uh, you know, keeping a family and whatnot, but it, it always, you always catch a little, catch a little hell from, from the, the other cowboys that would, that work out in the, on the big open stuff. And <laughs> well, that's, that's all well and good, but there's only, uh, there's only a few spots for folks to work out on the big open. And, um, the rest of us have to scramble around the best we can. That's kind of how I, I view it. And by the time I, uh, by the time I realized there was some some big open country and and outfits that still went out on a wagon because like I said I gr- kind of grew up in in farmer country we people ran cattle but it was I mean it, it's really it's really sectioned off pretty 
pretty good down in that part of the world. There's there's very little, uh, you know, public land and very not many. Thousand acres is a pretty big pasture in in southeast Colorado, and yeah. uh, and then uh, then yeah, I get out to Nevada and I was like, oh, I've I've been missing out my entire life. I just didn't know it was out here. And by that time though, I got a I got a wife and two kids, and that's uh, a camp yeah, job. You know, yeah, that that kind of that kind of work is for nineteen year olds. Yeah, yeah, that that uh that those camp jobs uh, don't bode well for a married fella. <laughs> not for very long. <laughs> no, no, not not you. You might have a hell of a time out on that on that wagon, but uh, your, your wife had a had a hell of a time uh, moving out of your house while <laughs> while you were gone. <laughs> that can happen. I yeah. imagine that's happened uh, many many times. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the. That's kind of the bane of the the cowboy existence because uh, once once you get married the like the sure enough cowboy cowboy shit that uh, that you you know that you you uh, you wanted so bad when when you were younger that that kind of like slowly but surely it kind of chips away at you the, the the more the more people you have looking looking up to you you know. Well, you have you have people who are depending on you to take care of them, and and it uh, becomes more and more difficult to do that if you're out uh, if you're out asleep in a teepee. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, as fun as the job is, it, it usually don't pay all that well. And and, and there's a there's a <laughs> I never does as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's why I've been in the feedlot the whole time is because I've had. I've never been turned down from a ranch job, but I've turned down plenty of them because I, I just I, they 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 couldn't afford me. I got a, I got a little used to the to the feedlot wages, and you're just like I, I mean I, I'm not trying to be cocky. It just kind of is what it is, you know. These guys pay pretty well, and they they treat me all right. So I uh, I get to go play real cowboy on the weekends here and there. <laughs> well, um, I'd be I'd be a little less. Uh, uh, I might I might say that uh, the idea of being a real cowboy is a relative term. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's there are there are different aspects of being a real cowboy, um, uh, depending on where you are and what you are doing. I mean, there's still the there's still the work to be done, uh, whether you're doing it in a feedlot or whether you're doing it out uh, out on a wagon or whether you're doing it. Uh, um, for for a neighbor uh, during branding season, I mean, you're still cowboying. Yo, I, I think so too. I I always kind of define it as, uh, you know, it, it's a guy on a a guy on a horse taking care of a cow is kind of that's pretty much it. That's that, that's basically it. You know, uh, you know, everybody can, uh, and it's done it's done all the time. You know, people are uh, they can turn their nose up to uh another aspect of the work but it's all it's all in the same it's all it's all in the same world yeah that's that's kind of how i view it and uh i i think really the only thing that that distinguishes cowboy from you know like herdsman or whatever is the fact that you you do it a horseback like that's kind of what what sets the cowboy apart and and it's uh you know, there there people have their their own thoughts of what a cowboy should be, and you know, then the you'll hear people start listing the traits they want in a cowboy, and 
more often than not, when they do that, they'll they'll list tra- traits that have nothing to do about whether or not a guy can take care of a cow or horseback. <laughs> and you're just like, man, I uh, I I know you want a, a God fearing man that 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 doesn't cuss and takes his hat off inside and uh, and and bows to the ladies, but uh, I I don't know. Can can the guy go? Uh, can 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 he blow to a cow and and uh, and get him roped and, and tied down or or handled for somebody to to pick up back feet or can they pull a calf like that? That's kind of what I'm looking for in a cowboy, you know. I, I agree. It's it's a man who who can do the work and. Uh... All the all the rest of that is uh, that's uh, gilding on the lily, if you will. It's frosting on the cake. Yeah, it's a little. It's it's more towards the character of a man rather than the you know, can you do the job? And it's uh, <clears throat> yeah. I I've had uh, I've had people call called uh, you know apply for jobs and they'll. Um, I had a gal from Oklahoma that just really went on and on about how she had won the Oklahoma state finals on the, on this, uh, in the barrel racing on this horse. And she had raised it up from, uh, you know, two year old and, and did all the training herself. And I said, that, that is really impressive, but we're, we're looking for somebody to take care of bottle calves. So can, <laughs> can, can you do that? <laughs> that's, I guess that's what I'm asking, you know? And you know what? There's a there's a cowboy aspect to that job as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there is. And I, I like I said, I, I was I wasn't trying to to put her down. I was like, you, you're you're barking up the wrong tree with that line of <laughs> line of uh, uh, appraisal of yourself because I like as, as impressive as it might have been. And I don't know, if, I, don't, I I never saw the horse. I never um, she didn't she didn't call me back after that. But I said, I we're I, I, that, that's fine. But like, we don't run barrels at the, here, you know, we're yeah, 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 exactly right. It's uh we kind of need your horse to put his head down and go to work. We don't need him to be, have his head in the air and, and want to run real fast everywhere he goes. Right. It was, uh, it was, it was, complete... it's, really, it's really hard to feed bottle calves from the back of a, of a, of a uh, barrel racing horse. Yeah. I I've never done it, but I can't, I can't imagine it'd be all that fun. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, just, it was just, uh, I, I appreciate that the skill that uh, that you're you're telling me, but it, it is completely irrelevant to the job that, I, that I'm wanting you to do. So, and uh, um, it, it's uh, it's funny. There, there's certain certain songwriters uh, that that you just the way the way you phrase stuff and uh, and and the way you describe stuff, you can tell you've been around you've been around this, this business quite a while. And, and it's, uh, it makes, it makes your songwriting so, so much more appealing. Cause it, it, it's, uh, guys that, that are out there on horseback can, can really connect with, with the words you're saying. Um, when, when did you, when did you get into, to start writing songs and playing guitar? And, and I guess, I guess, when did you, do you think this are, or when did you pick up a guitar, I guess? Oh my goodness! Well, I picked up a guitar when I was about uh, twelve or thirteen years old, which is that's usually the age uh, that whatever whatever is going to bite you um, is going to is going to bite you about that age. You know, whether you're going to be a cowboy. And of course, and I had I had the cowboy bug from the time I was uh, I was four years old. If you maybe even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as far as the guitar thing, that. Um, 
that happened about oh, 12 or 13 and uh, I started uh, uh, banging on, on a guitar it was a, a monkey wards um, three-quarter size kind of a yellow looking thing I don't even know if it was made out of wood to be honest with you I think it was but um, the, the, the strings were so far off the neck at the 12th fret you could probably use them use that guitar to slice cheese it was uh, it was uh, it was a terrible instrument uh, just <laughs> a mystery from hell if you will and, and if you really wanted to learn you had to really want to learn to play guitar to to get get it done on that instrument but i did i mean it was you know it was my my family was uh, uh rural and uh in the cattle business and um of course which means that you had uh, little, if any, money whatsoever. No, no free money. Any, no, no discernible. Uh, what you would call, um, uh, what do they call it? Income. Um, uh, the the income that you can use for frivolous things. Disposable income. Any. Yeah. Disposable income. There you go. Um, so anyway, I ended up with a cheap, you know, twenty five dollar guitar. If, and, if uh, you're where you grew up, is anywhere like where I grew up? You were you were poor, but nobody wanted to admit it. Everybody was too proud to admit that you were poor. Well, it never, it never came up in conversation because every everybody we knew was in the same exactly. boat. Yeah, that's kind of right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So you you had no idea you were poor. It was just that was what the situation was. And uh, uh, so I I banged around on that for uh, several years, you know. And the old man uh, would come in and get me and go, "What the heck's the matter with you, boy? Get the heck out of here. We got work to do." What are you doing sitting around your bedroom plinking on that guitar? Get your butt outside. We got work to do. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that, that went on for several years. And um, and I wasn't writing songs then or anything like that. And um, I, I, I put a little band together about the time that I graduated from high school. And I, I took a couple of... Um, I took a couple of runs at, uh, at college... That didn't uh, that didn't take, and um, I abandoned that pretty quick uh, because the college thing they wanted you to show up like every day. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really ready to commit to that, and uh, we didn't have any um, uh, universities around us. Well, I take that back. They had Cal Poly, but that, that was that was uh, a little beyond our uh, financial abilities to. Uh, to do anything, so you you, you would um, you'd go to you'd go to uh, community colleges and things like that, and I, I I lost interest in that about after about twenty minutes. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess I needed you know I needed to uh, uh, do something else. It, it wasn't it wasn't my deal, and uh, I had gone to work for uh, Feeling Brothers Feed Lot in um, Roy Grandy, California, when I was about. 16, 17 years old, and um, uh, that was a, that was an educational experience right there because we had, I mean, we had uh, we had like I say, growing up, we we ran a feed lot at our little our little um, our little twenty acre deal where we had uh, three hundred head of feeder steers in the dry lot, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. So I understood that, but I went to work for Feelings, and they had they had thousands of head of cattle up there, and. Um, not that not that that was anything I had to deal with because my job was uh, uh, 
cleaning feed bunks with a big scoop shovel and uh, uh, cleaning out <laughs> water troughs with a big yellow brush. That was uh, that was my uh, experience yeah. with the, with that particular feedlot. But uh, uh, it, it still seemed a little bit more appealing than going to a, uh, a community college where you you wanted to talk about English 101 and that kind of nonsense. So I I uh, I bowed out of that pretty quick and uh, went to work in the bars playing music with a with a little four-piece band that I put together. And um, uh, after about, oh, I want to say three years, three or four years, I mean, that was the only place there was to work if you wanted to play music, mm-hmm. was in the bathrooms. And um, I got a belly full of that pretty quick. After about three three years or three or four years, I had I had all I needed uh, of that. And uh, I, just, I just walked away from it. And I didn't pick up the guitar again for probably 10 years. I was, really? I was, I was in my, yeah, I was in my early 30s before I ever picked up a guitar again, seriously. Huh. Well, what'd you do in the meantime? You just... I work for outfitters. Um work for outfitters, mostly in the eastern slope of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Okay. And yeah, I uh, I pack mules, basically, is what I do. I, I've... Uh, I've... I've met several guys that did that. I I I feel <clears throat> so so many times, especially I my first I guess real cowboy job was right out of college. I went up to <clears throat> northern Montana on the on the High Line and I worked for a pretty big outfit out there. And I I did not realize what a flatlander I was until I <laughs> I had to go build fence in the mountains. And uh Oh, now where were you at as far as uh on the High Line, uh, I, Big Sandy. You know, part of the High Line I know about. Uh, there's only like two or three rocks and one tree between there and well, one barbed wire fence between there and Canada, um, and it's pretty flat. I mean, were you were you on the west side or? Um, we were we were kind of on the south side of the High Line. We were we were at a Big Sandy, but we had a we had a place right up against the Bear Paws. Oh, okay, sure, sure. And um, yeah, so it was uh. And it was a that was a whole different, because I'd built plenty of fence uh, out on the plains. But man, when when you'd uh, you'd come to a tree where where the the wire was rotted out, and there was like six different splices from every single year where that 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 wire rotted out because they stapled it to the tree, and it was like man, this uh, <laughs> you know living on the plains. Remember, like I say, there was only four trees up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it was pretty wild how quick it it turned into planes too. It was, uh, you know, you there, there was that one spot there in the in the bear paws, and we had uh, we were kind of surrounded by hills, but it was uh, like it was a fairly big valley, and then and then there was yes, yeah. that's that's um, where, that's, um that's south that's southwest of Haver, right? I mean, that's I'm trying to I'm trying to get yeah. that in my head where that's at. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of like southeast of Fort Benson. Oh right, yeah, got it. Okay, so now if you go east, you go just a little bit uh, east of there, and it's um, yeah, it's like a tabletop. Out yeah, there. yeah, it, it, it's pretty it, wild. Well, you know, and the thing is, is that I was just I was just up in Montana two days ago. I was doing a I was doing a, a, a show at a ranch. Um, um, uh, oh, it would be in south, south of Ennis, south of uh, Alder, uh, Virginia City area there, mm-hmm. um, not too far from the Idaho border. And um, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of mountainous regions there. It's in Madison, Madison County, right along the Madison River. And um, I was having a discussion with someone there uh, about how I, I enjoyed the topography there because there wasn't, even though it was it was uh, Western Montana, if you will, there was not um, or Southwestern Montana. There was not a whole bunch of trees uh, and mountains in in the way of stuff and. Um, for me, it's not Montana until I get east of Big Timber. Okay. Uh, because that's where that's where I was raised, and um, um, and and again, I was uh, a couple uh, couple well about three weeks ago. I was in uh, I was in Wyoming near Cheyenne, and right there in in that part of Wyoming is where the high plains start. Mm-hmm. And it, it really it really brought back to me. Um, just how much of a plains kid that I was, because it just it just lit me up. It just lit me up to see that that kind of country. I it's uh, I, I'm the same way. I'm a plains. I I live uh, I live here in uh, Smith Valley, Nevada, now, and and so I'm, oh, I know that country real well. You betcha. It's it's um, beautiful country. I love it now. Oh, well, absolutely. That's that's Honeywell country. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. I um, good good folks good friends with all those folks. Yeah, it uh, it's it's one of the uh, well, it, you know, it's horrible to live here, so don't don't move here. But <laughs> it, it's it's good it's good for honorary honorary well, fellows I, like you me. Know, that's, I've got my eye on that country right now. Let me tell you, I, I really do. Because, well, uh, well, uh, I, need get, I need to get out of California, man. I uh, we went to the coast for uh, for spring break, and. I get why people move to California. It is the most beautiful place on earth, but man, <laughs> I, uh, there's there's too many people and too many people that that think way way different than I do. Yeah, yeah. I I love the state. I just hate the politics. I'm I'm yeah. I'm the same way. I used I, I grew up in Colorado, so you know we kind of we kind of grew up hating Californians because they, they ruined uh, Colorado. And, and then I, I moved out here and, you know, half the ranchers here in the Valley, most of the ranchers here in the Valley, they summer in California. So they're, they're Nevada residents, but they're, <clears throat> they spend a lot of time in California and, and that there's good people over there too. It just, they they get outnumbered pretty quick uh, when you go yeah. to those cities. Um, what was so you uh wh- when did you start playing playing in the bars uh you said it was like 71 or so oh yeah it would have been about no it would have been later than that i uh uh let's see when it was it would have, would have been in the late 70s I okay so you and then so you, like i quit i quit probably in um let's see when did i get married um i quit probably in night the early early 80s i quit i quit the bars and went uh went back to work uh um packing mules for okay various outfitters and, and like i say i didn't uh, i didn't uh, pick up the guitar seriously for a long long time and then my wife uh, decided at one point she said you know you're gonna gonna take these people on these pack trips and all this other stuff you really gotta take your guitar and play play a little music for them and i thought yeah, I don't want to do that. That's uh, nah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. And she said, "No, nah, go ahead. It'll be fun. People will like it." And I said, "Well, all right." And and I I, I had a I had a pretty cheap guitar. I wasn't worried about it. I throw in the back of a mule, and um, in a in a uh, 
burlap sack or something and uh, um, that's where it started actually that's where it started probably in the oh my goodness uh, when did this start probably in the very late 80s early 90s I started uh, playing music again okay so and that's, that's sort of when I started writing songs it was about that time okay um what was that like playing in the in the late seventies in California though? Because like, you were, I, I mean, I guess the counterculture scene was still kind of there, but it was it it, it kind of you missed the peak of it, I guess. Like early seventies, you would have been right in the middle of that counterculture stuff there in California. Well, I, it wasn't it wasn't on the menu for me. <laughs> I I wouldn't figure it was, but like uh, surely you butted up against it pretty, you know. Yep. Oh, occasionally. You know, the whole thing was is that my my whole career has been a been a series of almost near misses. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's uh, uh, <laughs> the um, the counterculture. Uh, I never I never got near it. You know, it was uh, because I was playing. If I was playing in the bars, um, I was playing to oil field workers. Oh, okay. I, I was playing to rednecks. I was playing to, uh, I mean, it was a shot, beer in a shot kind of outfits that I was working at. I see. Yeah, so I never got, I never got into San Francisco or Los Angeles or went to the Fillmore or any of those places you hear about. No, I was, I was at the, uh, I was at the, uh, the Mull of Kintyre Saloon. I was at, uh, I was at the Hydrant Saloon. I was at, uh, you know, places that was like Bakersfield or Bakersfield West. It was all, it was all shot in beer and uh, um, uh, steel-toed boots and, and um, you know, uh, all of the uh, the girls all dressed right off the rack at Walmart. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was uh, or at Kmart, rather. Um, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty uh, Bakersfield West, if you will, where I was working. So. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I never, I never, <laughs> I never ran into the hippies at all. Okay. That, that, that's, well, and you, you uh, if you're not from California, I guess probably even if you're from California, like you forget how big of a state it is too. Like, I mean, it covers a lot of country. It and, sure does. And, and the, the areas that I worked was, uh, it was the Central Valley. It was uh, it was uh, what they called the Central Coast, which was pretty. Uh, it wasn't as, as thickly populated at all, but it was a it was an oil field, oil field world. I mean, there was an oil boom going on. At the yeah. Time. Huh. You know, you know, Vitalis drift off many a comb. <laughs> mm. In those, you know, and, and a shot in a beer was uh, three ninety five, and. Um, and people wanted to hear Buck Owens and Will Haggard, and that's what I played. There you go. It's uh, three ninety five. I, I was in the oh, I, I guess it'd been the L.A. airport the other day, and uh, I ordered a Bloody Mary, and a uh, guy sat down next to me. He goes, "What did that cost?" And I said, "I don't know, probably too much." And uh, so I'll let you know when they bring me my check because I had to I had to catch my plane pretty quick. After and it was twenty one dollars plus a twenty percent gratuity already added on. <laughs> and oh, so, and oh, I, I showed him the ticket. I said, "Yeah, it was way too much." <laughs> he's like, "Wow!" He's already ordered one. So, uh, ah, that was. I felt sick almost. <laughs> you know, that's amusing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let that, that be a lesson to all your listeners. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I think that's why the airport beers are some of the best beers, because it just costs a damn much. Savor it. <laughs> um, so, so when you got back into it again, how, uh, cause like you've, you've, did you, did you produce your own stuff and, and, and put it out yourself or did you sign with a label or, or how, how did that, I, I, I'm really like, I'm not very well versed on how the, the music world uh, works. You know, I just, I know I like, I like well, neither am I. Yeah, neither <laughs> am I actually. No. No, everything I've ever done, I've produced myself, and um, I've never, I've never been um, uh, hooked up with a label. I've done some stuff for a different label, but it, I've never been contracted to any of them. Um, the only other, the only other label that ever worked for, uh, that ever had anything to do with me, wanted to do a live album, and that's the only thing that I've ever done with them. I see. As far as any of the studio albums that I've ever done, I've, I've always self-produced that. They've always come out under my own name, and um, yeah, I, I don't have uh, I don't have ties, nor do I have obligations uh, hooked to anybody else but myself. And it's uh, it's it's all it's all kind of an in-house thing. It's a mom and pop sort of a situation and a cottage industry, if you will, but I've all, I've done it all, all on my own, all by myself and, um, never, you know, just, I gathered all the musicians and, and here's the tracks is what we're going to do. Let's try it. Let's go. And it just sort of worked out that way. Well, uh, it, uh, it seems like it worked out good. And, and it's one of the crazy things I've learned about the, the music world is, uh, uh, like you're, you're in a, a better situation than most uh, because you, you own all the stuff that you already made. Yes, sir. And, and yes, sir. that, that's, that's, it's something crazy to think about, but a lot of these, a lot of these huge artists that they write these, these songs that'll live on for generations and they don't own a bit of it. Um, I had a, in, in the late nineties, uh, probably 1998 or so, I, I, um, Got approached by some folks in Nashville who wanted to. Um, they wanted to take uh, charge of my publishing, and um, and I considered it. And until uh, a friend of mine who lived in Nashville and who knew the business told me that um, if I signed this 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 contract. But the people I was signing the contract with could make the decision that uh, I couldn't record my own uh, stuff, and it would they would be the one to decide who got to record it. And I said, "Well, I don't hardly think so. <laughs> that's not that's not what I want at all." And um, I uh, I backed out of that really really quick. And um, well, I don't blame I you. Say, yeah, I can say with pride that I have uh, I have never, uh, from that day forth, had any uh, interaction with uh, mainstream country music, if you will, uh, at all, whatsoever. <coughs> that sort of that sort of chicanery just um, was was beyond my ken. I just I really couldn't even fathom the idea of the fact that you could write a song and then somebody else had the right to tell you whether or not you could record it. It just yeah. it seems crazy. 
Uh, well, it's just it's just that it's that world, and um, they we came to an agreement back then, uh, Nashville and myself, that uh, day number one they did they weren't interested in much of what I did, and I certainly wasn't interested in how they did it. Well, it's uh that's a win win on 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 uh on that situation then. Well, I, I you know I tended I I went on and, and ended up having an okay career uh, uh in spite of them uh, and uh they haven't they haven't bothered me since <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fun how how much uh how much radio play time have you ever got throughout your career oh good lord marcel marceau gets better better airplay than i do <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I, folks like yourself um will give me more airplay than uh i, I get very very little airplay whatsoever it's it's all done word of mouth well it's it, it's kind of funny because that's i uh i'm fairly new to the cowboy music world like i said because I, I grew up east of the rockies and uh and uh you know closer to kansas than i was to to the to the rocky mountains and i uh and so the the cowboy music scene was was not real heard of. My dad had uh, had a couple of older guys that uh, that he that he knew, and uh, and there was Chris Ledoux. That's about all we that was about all we knew. Um, and and then when I was in high school, uh, I, I, I got a story about that. So go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, I, I can't wait to hear it. But uh, just to wrap it up. So like then. As I moved into like late high school and into college, I, I got introduced to the Texas uh, Oklahoma country music scene, and that's uh, and, you know it's, it's, uh, it's kind of in the cowboy world too. It's it's a completely different deal from from Nashville. Oh, and, absolutely. And uh, and same way, like it would all spread word of mouth until this the social media thing popped up. But that that's kind of the the scene that I. I cut my teeth on you know, where, where I like I I consider myself uh, kind of first and foremost as a red dirt country fan it is uh, that's oh, yeah. that's classic rock and and like uh, and red dirt country and then as uh, as I've moved out here to Nevada I've been out here six years now I've I've got introduced to to all these uh, these cowboy artists I, I I you know I knew Corb Lund from from college but that that bled into to some of the the generation before like yourself and uh and so it's it's just uh it's been the same type of journey just from from one community to the other absolutely yes uh the red dirt thing uh i've I've always been uh very impressed with the texas the texas music scene because that's the only state in the union that i'm aware of has their own uh has their own music charts and uh, uh i i you know i occasionally make forays into texas if i'm asked i don't uh i don't tour there uh on a regular basis because uh texas is pretty insular if you will yeah and uh, to work in texas you pretty much got to live in texas and i was i was uh given that uh to understand quite early on but um uh, but anyway you mentioned chris ledoux and chris was actually um uh, an early uh, early influence as far as the the idea that you could do this on your own for me. Uh, he won uh, he won the world in nineteen I believe it was nineteen seventy six. Uh, I think so. Yeah. 
as a bareback rider. And his son, Ned, who, uh, and this is sort of a sideline, uh, who is a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful human being uh, and is carrying on the tradition very, 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 very well. I've worked with him a couple of times in, in Nashville and, and has been, I have been very impressed with him just as a human being, let alone as an artist. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> at one point in my, in my career, I decided I was going to be a bareback rider. And uh, I, uh, I was uh, <laughs> given to understand quite early on that I was not any good at it. <laughs> the cowboy uh, world is pretty blunt, isn't it? Well, no, it, it wasn't anything about that. It was the fact that, that uh, just the uh, performances that I uh, uh, put in, um, I mean, they, they used to have to scrape me off of the arena floor so they could close the shoot goods. I mean, it was, it was that bad. <laughs> I, I've never been that good at riding bad horses at all. And, and for some reason, I decided at age 19 that this is what I should be doing. Um <laughs> Anyway, that that lasted not very, very, very long, and I remember I was backstage, backstage, back back behind the chutes mm. at the uh, Elks Rodeo in Santa Maria, California, and this was in 1977, and I would have been about 19, I think, at the time. And uh, they had just scraped me up again off the floor, uh, <laughs> and I was sitting, I was sitting back, sit back behind the chutes there, licking my wounds, and here comes the person to do, and of course. Um, I thought he was going to be 19 foot tall and, and have uh, a glow of angels about him and, and this whole thing. But he was like a regular guy. And I did, but he, he went by and he, he nodded and smiled and he acknowledged me. And I was sitting there and I looked at him and I said, uh, You want to buy a bareback rig? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, He said, uh, He looked a little startled and he said, uh, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I said, okay. okay, see ya. And uh, so I have I have the uh, the distinction of being the guy in 1977 who tried to sell Christmas to do a bareback. But at the same time, he was selling cassette tapes out of the back of his car um, and record albums at the same time. And before Garth Brooks ever discovered him, he had sold millions of these things oh just yeah out of the back of his car and uh it 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 uh as i looked back on it as i got a little older and actually got into the business i said well well i guess you don't have to be in nashville you know you can, you can do this on your own chris chris had a had a viable career and a very successful career as a music uh, uh music art musical artist Way before uh, Chris Ledoux uh, did that song about what you're going to do with Cal, or, or not, no, what was that song? It was, uh, um, it was uh, too damn um, young to feel this. Too damn young to feel yeah. this old. Yeah, exactly right. Worn out tape for Chris Ledoux. Yeah, and um, he he'd been he'd been he'd been out there doing it for years before that song ever came out. Huh. so he was a, he was a he was a great inspiration for me, not necessarily, but. The music itself, but the fact that you could be a businessman and make this work. Well, that it's funny you mentioned that. I uh, I, I kind of I figured out the same thing with this uh, this podcast thing. Is I always I grew up around around cowboys. There was there they were more kind of 
I, I guess you'd call them cowpuncher type than they were, you know, Great Basin type. But uh, it's still, it's all the same people. Uh, and, yes, and, yes, and, and we should never forget that. Right. And and I just, I I always remember it's like the the best stories, whether they be like the most heartfelt or funny or entertaining or, or, or just like have you on the edge of your seat has always come from working cowboys and, and military guys that have, have served in combat. Like they, they, like bar none, those are the two favorite people I, I want to hear stories from. And, yeah. and I knew a bunch of these, these old, these older guys that, uh, that I grew up listening to that I, I wish I always thought, I wish that was in a book somewhere. And, and the cool thing about technology is now is I can just call them like I'm calling you, and and now we have these these conversations on tape. I can tell tell me about that time when you know whatever you know, and uh, and it's it, and you can do it by yourself. And and there's uh, yeah, there, there's something about that not being tied to anything except what you want to do. Exactly right. You do it on your own. You can make this happen. And in spite of what some someone might tell you right uh, and it, yeah it's it's been it's been really cool to uh to see that and and the 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 awesome thing about the cowboy world is uh not all guys like to talk but if you get a couple other guys telling stories they're gonna pitch in at some point and it's the guy that doesn't like to talk that's always has the best story and and it just uh and and the community is like it it's all like everything good is comes down through word of mouth like you don't ever you might hear something on the radio and an advertisement but that's that that's like 5 years after the fact when everybody knew they they made good stuff and uh like like everything cow everything good cowboy wise starts word of mouth I, I believe that's true, and and my whole career has been based on word of mouth. That that that's that's really that's really cool. I uh, and and it, and it's funny. It was it was word of mouth. It was somebody who I don't know. I don't even know how they found my podcast, but it was I started about four years ago, and, and somebody. <laughs> how I got introduced to you, I guess, was somebody. I, I think I just. I always, I always end my show with with a song that either fits the episode or something that I, I something that I'm, I, I think is a good song for the day, or whatever. And, uh, and so, I always end the show. Move your ass, we're burning daylight, and then it goes into a song. And and I took, I, I said, uh, if anybody's got a request, let me know. And somebody, somebody uh, requested the Bronx Ballet. And then, uh, and then Buckaroo Man by Dave Stamey. And I said, all right, I've never heard these before, but I'll check them out. And now, now I'm talking to Dave Stamey on the podcast that introduced me to, to, to Dave Stamey. And it's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> all came through word of mouth. Yep. That's what happens. And that's, and that's the best, that's the best kind of advertising. There is. I mean, you can, you can uh, throw money at a magazine or, a, you know, uh, a book or whatever it is you're going to do, or newspapers or what have you, or, or radios, or, and it doesn't it doesn't really work. It's not as effective as uh, as the guy um, out there on the ranches who discovered your 
who's discovered your music and he he's passing it around to his friends and they pass it around to their friends and it's that's that's the kind of uh advertising that uh has uh, has worked for me it's uh it's really cool because uh the gal that that finally put us in touch was uh lydia Deers and she had uh saw you at a show before and uh had told you about me i finally got to to meet you in elko and then uh, she ran into you at a show that you did up in Washington, and uh, finally I got I got a, a picture of uh, of your phone number on a napkin uh, from a <laughs> wedding, and I was like, yeah, that that is the most that like that's cowboy shit right there. Oh yes, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> and pretty uh, much. and it, yeah, and it, but it's all it, was, it all started word of mouth, and uh, and and it's like I don't know, it, you're you're. You're pretty big inspiration to me when 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 you talk about you know just kind of doing it by yourself and maybe you you don't have the the number one hits or whatever but like you're you're a staple within the community that you you choose to serve and that's uh, I, I think that's 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 better than a lot of fame sometimes. Well, the the thing that I keep in my head all the time is the fact that the rural American West. The rural American West is one of the most underrepresented portions of the population of this country. They yes, never get they never get anything uh, in the mainstream media. Nobody ever pays attention to them. Newspapers don't. The, the, the television doesn't. The radio, of course, doesn't. And um, if I don't tell their story, nobody is going to tell their story. And, yeah. Uh, um, that is that to me. My my life's work is to celebrate that portion of the population because that's 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 the world I grew up in. Uh, I that's the that's the world I still exist in. Those, those are the people I know. Those are the people I care about, and they never get their fair share of attention in in um, in, the, in the in the in the modern the modern media. Right now, I, uh, 10 to 12 years ago, I'm trying to remember when it was, that, that big Atlas storm that came through the Dakotas in uh, October. Yeah. And it devastated hundreds and hundreds of small ranchers. I mean, we're talking tens of mm-hmm. thousands of head of cattle and, and horses were, were wiped out. And these... These ranchers were decimated. I mean, all through the Dakotas and, and even as far far down as uh, as Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing was, nobody in the major media outlets paid attention to that. No one talked about it. No one mentioned it. No one did a story yeah. on it. Hard. I mean, if they did, it was a brief thing, and they went back on because everybody was more concerned about the uh, government shutdown that was supposed to happen. Yeah, under Obama, I don't know what they were. They were fighting back and forth, and that's the only thing they wanted to pay attention to. Yeah, and I was so angry, I was so disgusted that I, I, it just, it just made me more, uh, more determined to continue to tell that story because uh, obviously uh, nobody else was going to do it, and that, that's. Uh, that that's what puts the wings that puts the wind underneath my wings. That's that's what gives me the impetus to keep going. Is the fact that uh, these people that I grew up with, these people that I know so well, are being ignored. And yeah, I said that's right. That is not right, and I'm going to do my best to uh, correct that. 
Well, uh, it it comes through in your songs. Um, I, I can tell you're you're uh, somewhat of a student of history too. Just uh, that uh, that Montana Homestead song. Uh, I I could listen to that thing hours on end on loop just because I, I I just I just play through my mind what it what it would have been like for, for those people, uh, you know, like the. <laughs> You know they're they're trying to make something out of a place where the Indians don't stay in the winter. You know they 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 migrate yeah, south. Yeah, and that, that's uh, that country southeast of um, southeast of Miles City, in in Montana, which is where that was based. I, I actually, when I wrote that song, I had been touring up through that country, and I I made a, a complete uh, uh, off off the graph kind of a run. I, I wasn't it wasn't even my circle of. Uh, uh, of jobs that I had scheduled, I had a couple of days off, and I I made a specific point of traveling back east. And I know that country from when I was a kid, but I wanted to make sure I had it right in my head. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the song. Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, country southeast of uh, of Hardin and um, Ismay, that kind of country. Uh, it was it was opened up by the railroads and. Um, they actually tried to suck people into coming out and 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 settling that country because the railroad wanted farmers to have uh, that that would be uh, using the railroad to ship their their products uh, uh, out of the out of the area. So um, at that time there was a there was a belief that if you plowed the ground and roiled up the ground. Uh, that would actually cause rain to be attracted to your yeah, area. The rain will follow was, the plow. Rain will follow the plow, and that was a a an actual belief that was actual an actual theory that that that, that people ascribed to. Yeah, as, as recently as as the early 1900s, they 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 they, they believed that. All and all so the way up to like out. the 1920s in uh, oh, on the yes. on the Great Plains. I mean, they. Um, have you ever read the book The Worst Hard Time? Absolutely, I have. That yes. so that yeah, that's I, a great book. Now, there's another book out that, that uh, a guy named uh, Rabson, I think Robson or Rabson, I can't think of his name. Mm. It was called uh, Bad Land. Okay, I'll look that was, up. It was specifically about this. That's actually the inspiration that I got from that. The fact that I had lived not too far away from where this happened, and I read the book, and it just it just brought it all home to me. And that's what that's where that song came out of. Okay, it, so I I, I grew up uh, about a forty minute drive from Boise City, Oklahoma, which uh, in in the worst hard time they. They uh, they ascribe as the geographic center of the Dust Bowl, and yeah, and so like my my grandpa was about forty five miles away from there in an open cab trap tractor just trying to trying to make something grow <laughs> at all you know and uh, and and a few like twenty five years before that it was nothing but just grass buffalo grass as far as the eye could see. Yeah. And and it was yeah, it was that whole rain the rain will follow the plow. Yeah. And they exactly. uh, 
something about I, th- I think they said like 30 million acres is what they ended up plowing up in the the great plains and lost how who untold generations worth of topsoil <laughs> uh yeah, well, exactly that. I mean, that's what that's what brought the dust bowl on was that and it was wheat primarily mm-hmm. um that they were uh that was that was causing that and and rather than rather than uh uh, uh throttling back on the wheat you know when the price fell they would just double their production and 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 work twice as hard mm-hmm. which is seems kind of like the cowboy music business actually i think about it. <laughs> yeah that's it's kind of <laughs> like every working man's deal like even if it's gonna hurt you in the long run i gotta i gotta do something to make it through today so i'll just work harder exactly right exactly right. it's uh yeah it, it's wild that that whole uh it's just funny trying to like going back and looking at that stuff and then trying to trying to you know follow the thread uh all the way up to today and then like how how did something like and you think you know like that that was a long time ago but in the in the vast reality it wasn't that long ago it was my you know my grandpa uh you know he 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 weathered the the dust bowl uh lot lot uh lot of thanks to the to the new deal programs which later led on to like not be real good for the country but at the time i mean man there was a lot of there was a lot of new deal democrats there on the great plains uh that that they uh they were able to survive the dust bowl in a place they probably shouldn't be living um but they they made it and now they're still trying to make a make a stand there and it's like i don't know those those stories from the dust bowl they they run deep like i I mean that that stuff was really drilled in my head as a kid about like how bad it can get oh yeah absolutely and uh i I don't know it seems like maybe some some of those folks in the cities don't have quite that tie to it but man they're oh they didn't have a clue they it's it, it never affected them and um uh, other than uh, being inconvenient when the dust went rolling right it's kind of like the the smoke back east nowadays you know they're they're exactly right. you know, they're you know, and they're making a big big mess about uh, the smoke coming down from Canada and it's like well yeah but what about the smoke that came out of Montana 45 years ago you know uh, uh, nobody said anything about that Nobody's yeah or talking. just two uh, I think it was Two summers ago, I mean, we we had like six weeks of that out here. No, yeah. I, I, it, yeah, we get it all the time out here in California. Yeah, and um, it's uh, well, anyway, we could we could we could uh, keep going down this road, but uh, we yeah, no. get into politics, and I don't know if that's where we need to go. <laughs> uh, it, you know, we could, but it's it's you know, it, it just uh, it, it is funny how how different the like. I, I had a, I, I guess it was just the disconnect, you know, and I always kind of wonder where that went, uh, like when when that went awry, when that, like the, there, there's always been some sort of disconnect between urban and rural, but like here, here lately, it seems like it got, it, it's really gone awry, but I had a, a history professor on here a while back, he's a, he's a Chicago guy, like he's, he's kind of known as a, as um like his his specific area of history is uh is Chicago and he's wrote several books on on uh he's a Polish guy he's like a 
uh, his his grandpa was a was a Polish immigrant. Uh, went to as a, went to work as an unskilled worker in the the meatpacking plants, and uh, and then he he grew up. You know, he went to work in the the union stockyards at the final days of it in the seventies. Uh, um, you know when there was like he he worked all the way through the like the um, the big riots at the Democratic National Convention in in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, and uh, you know had had buddies uh, on his block that got drafted and went to the Vietnam War, and and uh, he was he was uh, going to college, and he he wrote this incredible story about the Union stockyards, and and, and he he really took at it took took it from the point of just telling the story without trying to push a narrative. It just like. Tell the story of what made the Chicago Union Stockyards so unique and special throughout history, and and I, it was the it was the best book I've read so far on on that part of the the meatpacking industry, and and it was just from a guy that grew up in in the stockyards area of Chicago is, is essentially what it was, and um, he he said when when the stockyards shut down, he said that was kind of for him that was the beginning of the end of the you know like the small american farmer because uh at that point everybody they they followed their cattle when they sold their cattle they followed them on the train they rode the train to to kansas city or uh you know fort worth or chicago or or uh you know like omaha wherever wherever the the stockyard was you you followed you followed your cattle there and then you usually had to spend the night because you you were selling your cattle the next day and, and in the meantime like you had you and your crew taking care of the cattle and you had a night uh night in town at the stockyards and you'd mingle with uh, the meat packing workers and there was a big there was a strong bond between the urban blue collar worker and and the the rural uh the rural man and then when that stockyard shut down like that, I mean, it was just like a complete stop on the like that, 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 that overlap between urban and rural. It seemed like uh, for a lot of people. I'm sure that that's the case. I don't even remember when that happened um, or, or what year that happened. But, it was uh, like 71, I think, if I remember right. But um, that's, that's about that's about two years before the big crash happened. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, it was it was just, it was really interesting uh, hearing him talk about that. And uh, I mean, being on the, the complete opposite end of the spectrum of me and you, where he was, like, he he worked at the stockyards, you know. So he was he was on the other end of it. But um, yeah, but he was still in the world, you know. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was that part of it. And I don't, I you know, and I don't. I haven't studied that aspect of it uh, to enough to to know uh, to comment on it, but it's uh, uh, I'm sure it was very uh, as to why that happened. I I really don't know. It would be it'd be pretty interesting to find out. Yeah, no, I, and I'm I'm on the same boat. I, it was just it was interesting to hear from like I said uh, from a guy on from the urban end of it, and mm-hmm. and, and you know and, and a you know a, a learned man uh, if you will. Uh, given well, the, the problem is, is that, um, uh, and, and I don't know when this happened, but uh, at, at some point, uh, the suburban, uh, urban and, and suburban ideas um, uh, took over to where 
nobody seemed to understand where their food comes from. Right. Uh, and it's like, well, we just get it at the store. That's where you get it. And it's like, well, they don't they don't have a clue as to where uh, where their hamburgers come from, or where their or even their uh, their lettuce, or whatever it is they're they're eating. They don't they don't really realize that that has to be grown by someone. That has to be uh, uh, the urban aspects of it is is uh, has have have taken over to where they don't. Uh, it's not even in their. Um, it's, it's it's not even uh, uh, something that they consider. It, it's never it never comes up. It's not in the menu. Yeah. The fact uh, somebody else actually grows that or or raises that or takes care of that or uh, it's it's no. You just go to the supermarket and you get it. You know. Yeah. Um, and and I I think that's that's a great tragedy in in that we've. Uh, and that's 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 something that's been coming for the last hundred and twenty years. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, we we our culture has made that shift from from being a, an agrarian society over to being a, uh, a, a, a an urban sort of a situation, and to where the only way to make a living now is to go to university and become a computer programmer. And uh, any anybody else is it's. Uh, 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 considered a, uh, a toothless uh, tobacco chewing rube, and you don't have to talk about it. You know? Yeah, uh, which is which is really uh, unfortunate and and not fair. No, I I agree. It's uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's hard to say where, like where exactly that 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 whole disconnect really started but it's uh well, it's, it's kind of the bane of technology is like it's well i'm not even sure it's technology i think it's media um mm-hmm. uh, say 20 25 years ago i i actually i was working at a guest ranch um uh, trying to make ends meet and uh i was taking people out on horseback rides and i had a guy who I, I and I would make conversation with these folks and trying to figure out, you know, how, how am I going to relate to them? I'll talk to them and visit with them and so forth. And this one guy was um, sort of a portly gentleman, and he was uh, sort of uh, balding and had uh, eyeglasses on, and he was obviously out of his out of his uh, realm, but he wanted to go on a horseback ride. So I took him out and I visited him. I said, well, what you know, what is it you do? And he says, well, I write for television and movies. I said really? I said yeah, uh, and he mentioned different uh, things that he'd written. It was like the movies of the week or something, and mm-hmm. various television shows and so forth that he had written for. And he he seemed a little, I don't know, he seemed a little melancholy. And um, I said, well, I tell you what, partner, I said uh, I'm never going to have anybody here other than you who I can ask this question to, but I, I, I said, since you're, since you're a, a writer for this stuff, I said, you're going to have to explain to me why is it every time that uh, somebody in the, in the television or the movies uh, depicts someone from a rural background, they depict them as uh, ignorant, toothless, tobacco-chewing rubes. And he said to me, because the producers... Who put these shows together actually believe that's true. Yeah. And I said, "Are you got to be kidding me?" He says, "Oh no." He says, "There's very few of them that are over the age of 35, and they believe that anybody who does not live in a city is an idiot." Huh. That's wild. 
It was uh, that really threw me back. I, I had to really say, "Holy cow, that's amazing!" <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah. Uh, the media is uh, that's a whole different thing. It's uh, yeah. It, it's I think we've we've kind of over the past several years that people have kind of somewhat woken up to about how how just uh, how fabricated the whole lot of it is, but. <laughs> it's uh i don't know it, it's it's funny you know the i i think the the cowboys never the cowboy the true working cowboys never become real mainstream because they uh they're they're too blunt and and honest with their thoughts you know um that there's there's the the media version of the cowboy whether it be yellowstone or uh or or <laughs> Or you know the 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 rodeo cowboy and you know how like and and God bless those announcers like they do a great job they like they put on a show every night but they 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 really church it up as to what what the the working cowboy is which is really just uh, if, if you want to put it in the like the the grand scheme of things they're a blue collar worker that has to pay for all their own shit absolutely and um, and so they're they're just they're they're just kind of your normal working guy that that happens like that that that's the profession they chose because it's uh it's a hard work uh it's hard work most of the time and uh or it's boredom <laughs> if, if it's yeah, not if it's not hard work it's boredom and it's not for yeah, everybody like the, like the old, yeah like the old saying is is everybody everybody wants to be a cowboy until it's time to go out and do cowboy stuff yeah. Then it's that's not so much fun, right? And it's but those always make the best stories. Nobody ever tells a great story about how everything went perfect. They they tell the story about how how something went haywire immediately. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's um, I don't I don't know. It's uh, I think that's uh, that's kind of why like the the cowboy hasn't hasn't ever made mainstream because the, the like the true working cowboys ain't mainstream you know they're 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 better they're better in doses than they are you know full time you know that's that's why you know a lot of a lot of guys have been married four or five six times because they're uh they're 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 married they more to the do, job than they are the the woman they don't do well in expressing themselves yeah they they just don't, and uh, that's why we have the trouble that we have in uh, uh, in the agricultural world dealing with the uh, the urban world is the fact that the urban world is more adept at being uh, uh, erudite with their uh, with their uh, arguments and their. Uh, representations whereas most of the people who are working in the agricultural world uh, the cowboy world if you will go into it because they're not interested in being well spoken yeah in in a public forum they they don't want to mess with that they want to go back out and deal with their horses and their stock i just want to go punch cows exactly right i I don't i'm not a public speaker I'm a cowboy. Uh, I do better with horses than I do with uh, with uh, with uh, people from the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and as the world has grown smaller, uh, the 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 people that try to try to get away from the public become more and more of a of a public uh, individual, and yeah, and sometimes that that 
doesn't end up well. I don't know. It's, um, but, uh, the cool thing about the, this, all this technology is like, uh, cowboy and it's changed pretty drastically from the, the first, you know, Spaniard vaquero that, that ever, uh, threw a riata, uh, in, in North America that to today, like there's been significant changes, but at the, at the end of the day, they still haven't figured out a better way to work cattle than by a cowboy horseback. No, they haven't. And, and uh, and that's why people still like, that's why, why a cowboy is still a, a job. I mean, it's, it's changed a lot, but it's still, it's still a sought after job. Well, and it's, it's still a, uh, uh, well, as Baxter Black, who was a dear friend of mine, put it so, so uh, succinctly is that uh, they're still out there. You just can't see them from the road. Yep. Yeah. You just can't see them from the highway. That's all. Yeah. That's, uh, there was, my wife was telling me, and I, so before we, before uh, I let you go, I got to ask the question, but I, uh, she was telling me about, um, she, she had listened to, uh, I think an interview with you and you were talking about how some lady told you that, uh, your song Tonopah had inspired her to take a little side route and uh, a little detour <laughs> and go through the town of Tonopah, which is just, just a little bit south of me. And I've been through there a couple of times and, uh, and she was so disappointed. And I said, you, I, I said, what did he say? Did, did he say you sh- uh, it looks better from, uh, from the back of the horse? Cause that's what he should have said. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, um, that, that's a true story. I mean, she really was upset. Uh, she, <laughs> she, wrote, she wrote me an email or an e- a letter. I think it was an email. Uh, and she was she was really upset. The fact why why in the world would you want to write? You know, golly gosh, I spent I spent uh, five hours that day. You know, going out to see this place, and it was just awful. It was terrible. And I thought, you know, you just don't get it. Mm-hmm. You just don't get it. Uh, I suspect, and I don't know this for sure, but I suspect she lived in uh, uh, Glendale or Studio City. Yeah, and had and had an uh, an unrealistic idea of what uh, the West was. And uh, um, to me, places like Tonopah, uh, which are boom and bust, and they contain. Uh, just the 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 epitome of people's hopes and dreams that get dashed. Yeah. And yet they hang in there and try again and try again. And there's so much of that everywhere you go in the rural West. Uh, she didn't understand that. Well, and, you and know. I did not respond to her. Yeah. <laughs> That that well, if you had to respond, I would suggest saying it looks better from the back of a horse. Well, it it it, it sure might, but um, um, even that, I mean, there's there are places up up there that yeah, obviously do look look better from the back of a horse. Uh, and um, but the whole idea of of the fact that uh, people come out to these. Uh, these areas that are um, 
uh, windblown and nothing but sagebrush and wind and 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 try to make a life and um, keep trying in spite of every obstacle that's thrown in their way. Uh, there's something noble and beautiful in that, and and if you can't see it, then maybe you ought to stay in Glendale. Yeah, it's uh, there, there's one thing that kind of stood out for me because I read a, I've read several books uh that, that went in depth on on the the Great Depression and in the Dust Bowl in particular, but when when they talk about like the Great Oki migration uh, to California, and there was a ton of Okies that moved out there, but those were all they were all from like Eastern Oklahoma, and they were sharecroppers for the most part. So they didn't they didn't own anything they had, but everybody that lived in the Oklahoma Panhandle, uh, that was homesteaded ground, and they owned it outright. Mm-hmm. And seventy five percent of them stayed through the Dust Bowl. I mean, and like Grant, there was there. that's tough people yeah and uh but there there's it goes to say something about like and that's kind of what makes the the american rural west so unique is we own this stuff you know like there like there's uh, i i came out here i planted uh i planted my flag i built my house and this is mine and and there there's something just unique about that that uh that mentality it, it it goes back it goes back 200 years yeah the idea of the fact that you have the opportunity to go west and own a piece of ground and mm-hmm. start over to build something that belongs to you mm-hmm. and that is the that is the epitome of, of the american dream yeah i believe that that uh, the, the idea of, of somebody having a piece of private property and be able to develop that and use that to to raise their children to raise their family i think that is that is inherent in the in the idea of the american dream and yep. uh, it, goes, it goes all the way back to uh, to george washington yeah no i think you're right and and we just i don't know we we just got blessed to to be from people that that settled the best part of america you know i agree um, before I let you go, my wife told me I had to ask you what was it, or what is the favorite song of yours that you've wrote yourself? Oh, it's always the last one you write. <laughs> and, and what one was that? Uh, the last one I wrote, well, of any, of any decency, it was probably a, a song I wrote called Good Dog. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's that's probably uh, that's probably my favorite right now. But uh, um, I mean, I've written some since then, but nobody's heard them. So oh, okay, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll say as far as what's out there right now, uh, probably Good Dog is Good Dog, and uh, and that whole uh, that whole album is probably uh, uh, my my favorite work at the time right now as of right now. Well, good. That's uh, that that's really neat. Uh, we almost did an hour and a half, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep you any longer. You, I've uh, I've wasted enough of your time, but I, I sure appreciate it, Dave. And uh, I'd love to have you back anytime you want. Well, thank you for uh, for having me on. I appreciate that very very much. And I hope uh, I hope this is entertaining to uh, to uh, some of the cowboys out there listening. Yes, sir. Where where can they they find all of your your albums and and anything else you got going on? 
Oh, you know, it depends on on what their what what their uh, uh, technology technological uh, abilities are. Uh, but if they if they can find somebody uh, who's who's computer savvy, you can just go online to DaveStamey.com and find everything there. And if you if you can't spell Stamey, you can go to uh, Amazon.com and get close, and I think it'll probably come. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dave. I sure appreciate your time. And um, yeah, like I said, I look I look forward to doing it again anytime, anytime you want. You gotta, you're welcome back. And uh, well, we can we can talk some more uh, cowboy troubadour type stuff. I uh, I think I find all of that stuff interesting. Uh, I enjoy I enjoy the historical aspect of your songs. And uh, and it, it must be said, you're pretty pretty damn good guitar picker too like you've uh it's 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 pretty apparent you've been doing it for a while because you're you're pretty good at it i have no other marketable skills <laughs> well you 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 found your niche and good for you <laughs> well i appreciate it matt thank you very very much and uh thank you to everybody who's uh, out there listening to the burning daylight podcast i appreciate it very much all right thanks dave and uh thanks everybody for tuning in uh go follow his stuff uh anywhere you can find music or davestaving.com and uh it's for me go go follow the patreon patreon.com slash burning daylight and uh yeah move your ass we're burning daylight there we go all right <laughs> uh, thank you you bet hey starvation place on the patch of sand Railroad ties and old rusty wire Driving them T-poles through the hard pan Hoping the price of feed wouldn't get no higher Dehorning tar on your shirt Coffee, tobacco, Corona salve Worthless dogs sneaking around everywhere and bad luck was only luck we had. It tell of the West had a rural ride dress. Nothing very extraordinary, an ordinary tale of the West. Feeding cattle in a dry lot. Deep pulp and blue mix, moldy hay, bony hip, sorry looking Bramer Cross, hoping they could gain three pounds a day. Tin roof on the barn, flapping in the wind, foot rot and pink eye and warble flies, twelve cc's of terror, my sin. Just swinging our loops underneath the open skies. It tell of the West had a rural ride address. Nothing very extraordinary, an ordinary tale of the West. Those who've been there know what I mean. 
Lots of folks can sing this song Living the romance Living the dream Trying to make a living Trying to get it on It tell of the West And a rural ride address Nothing very extraordinary An ordinary tale of the West An ordinary tale of the 